Part Two of Last Enemy by H. Beam Piper, read by Mark Nelson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Last Enemy. The last of the tall city units of Gamma were sliding out of sight as the ship passed over them, shaft-like buildings that rose two or three thousand feet above the ground in clumps of three or four or six one at each corner of the landing stages set in series between them. Each of these units stood in the middle of a wooded park some five miles square. No unit was much more or less than twenty miles from its nearest neighbor, and the land between was the uniform golden-brown of ripening grain, criss-crossed with the threads of irrigation canals, and dotted here and there with sturdy farm-village buildings and tall stack-like granaries. There were a few other ships in the air at the fifty-thousand-foot level, and below, swarms of small airboats darted back and forth on different levels, depending on speed and direction. Far ahead to the northeast was the shimmer of the Red Sea and the hazy bulk of Asia Minor beyond. Verkan Vall, the Lord Verzil of Verkan temporarily, stood at the glass front of the observation deck looking down. He was a different Verkenval from the man who had talked with Tortha Karf in the latter's office two days before. The first-level cosmeticists had worked miracles upon him with their art. His skin was a soft chocolate brown now, his hair was jet black, and so were his eyes. And in his subconscious mind, instantly available to consciousness, was a vast body of knowledge about conditions on the Acor Neb sector as well as a complete command of the local language, all hypnotically acquired. He knew that he was looking down upon one of the minor provincial cities of a very respectably advanced civilization, a civilization which built its cities vertically, since it had learned to counteract gravitation, a civilization which still depended upon natural cereals for food, but one which had learned to make the most efficient use of its soil. The network of dams and irrigation canals which he saw were as good as anything on his own paratime level. The wide dispersal of buildings, he knew, was a heritage of a series of disastrous atomic wars of several thousand years before. The Acorn-Neb people had come to love the wide intervistas of open country and forest, and had continued to scatter their buildings even after the necessity had passed but the slim, towering buildings could only have been reared by a people who had banished nationalism, and with it the threat of total war. He contrasted them with the ground-hugging dome cities of the Kiftian civilization, only a few thousand peri-years distant. Three men came out of the lounge behind him and joined him. One was, like himself, a disguised paratimer from the first level, the outtime export and import man Zortan Brand here known as Brarnand of Zorda. The other two were Acorn-Neb people, and both wore the black tunics and the winged bullet badges of the Society of Assassins. Unlike Verkan Vall and Zortan Brind, who wore shoulder holsters under their short tunics, the Assassins openly displayed pistols and knives on their belts. "'We heard that you were coming two days ago, Lord Virzal,' Zortan Brind said. We delayed the take-off of this ship so that you could travel to Darsh as inconspicuously as possible. I also booked a suite for you at the Solar Hotel at Darsh. And these are your assassins, Olerzan and Marnik. 
Verkan Vall hooked fingers and clapped shoulders with them. Virzan of Verkan, he identified himself. I am satisfied to entrust myself to you. We'll do our best for you, Lord Verzel, the older of the pair, Olderzon said. He hesitated for a moment, then continued. Understand, Lord Verzel, I only ask for information useful in serving and protecting you. But is this of the Lady Delona a political matter? Not from our side, Verkan Vall told him. The Lady Delona is a scientist, entirely non-political. The Honorable Brarnand is a businessman. He doesn't meddle with politics as long as the politicians leave him alone. And I'm a planter on Venus. I have enough troubles with the natives and the weather and blue rot in the Zerfa plants and poison roaches and javelin bugs without getting into politics. But psychic science is inextricably mixed with politics, and the Lady Delona's work had evidently tended to discredit the theory of statistical reincarnation. "'Do you often make understatements like that, Lord Verzel?' Olderzon grinned. "'In the last six months she's knocked statistical reincarnation to splinters.' "'Well, I'm not a psychic scientist, and as I said, I don't know much about Terran politics,' Verkan Vall replied. "'I know that the statisticalists favor complete socialization and political control of the whole economy, because they want everybody to have the same opportunities in every reincarnation. And the volitionalists believe that everybody reincarnates as he pleases, and so they favor continuance of the present system of private ownership of wealth and private profit under a system of free competition. And that's about all I do know.' Naturally, as a landowner and the holder of a title of nobility, I'm a volitionalist in politics, but the socialization issue isn't important on Venus. There's still too much unseated land there, and too many personal opportunities to make socialism attractive to anybody." "'Well, that's about it,' Zortan Bren told him. "'I'm not enough of a psychicist to know what the Lady Delone has been doing but she's knocked the theoretical basis from under statistical reincarnation, and that's the basis, in turn, of statistical socialism. I think we'll find that the statisticalist party is responsible for whatever happened to her." Marnik, the younger of the two assassins, hesitated for a moment, then addressed Verkan Vall. "'Lord Verzel, I know none of the personalities involved in this matter, and I speak without wishing to give offence. But is it not possible that the Lady Delona and the assassin Deerzid may have gone somewhere together voluntarily? I have met Deerzid, and he has many qualities which women find attractive, and he is by no means indifferent to the opposite sex. You understand, Lord Verzel." "'I understand all too perfectly, Marnik,' Verkan Vall replied, out of the fullness of experience. The Lady Delona has had affairs with a number of men, myself among them but under the circumstances I find that explanation unthinkable." Marnik looked at him in open skepticism. Evidently, in his book, where an attractive man and a beautiful woman were concerned, that explanation was never unthinkable. "'The Lady Delona is a scientist,' Verkan Vald elaborated. She is not above diverting herself with love affairs, but that's all they are, a not-too-important form of diversion and, if you recall, she had just participated in a most significant experiment. 
you can be sure that she had other things on her mind at the time than pleasure jaunts with good-looking assassins. The ship was passing around the Caucasus Mountains, with the Caspian Sea in sight ahead, when several of the crew appeared on the observation deck and began preparing the shielding to protect the deck from gunfire. Zortan Brind inquired of the petty officer in charge of the work as to the necessity. "'We've been getting reports of trouble at Dar, sir,' the man said. "'Newscast bulletins every couple of minutes, rioting in different parts of the city. Started yesterday afternoon, when a couple of statisticalist members of the Executive Council resigned and went over to the volitionalists. Lord Nirzav of Shona, the only nobleman of any importance in the statisticalist party, was one of them. He was shot immediately afterward, while leaving the council chambers, along with a couple of assassins who were with him. Some people in an airboat sprayed them with a machine rifle as they came out onto the landing stage. The two assassins exclaimed in horrified anger over this. "'That wasn't the work of members of the Society of Assassins,' Olerzon declared. Even after he'd resigned, the Lord Nirzav was still immune till he left the government building. There's too blasted much illegal assassination going on. What happened next? Verkan Vall wanted to know. About what you'd expect, sir. The volitionalists weren't going to take that quietly. In the past eighteen hours, four prominent statisticalists were forcibly discarnated. And there was even a fight in Mirzak of Bashad's house when volitionalist assassins broke in. Three of them and four of Mirzak's assassins were discarnated. "'You know, something is going to have to be done about that, too,' Orlerzon said to Marnik. "'It's getting to a point where these political faction fights are being carried on entirely between members of the society. In Gama alone last year thirty or forty of our members were discarnated that way.' "'Plug in a newscast visiplate, Carnil. Zortan Brin told the petty officer. Let's see what's going on in Darsh now. In Darsh, it seemed, an uneasy peace was being established. Verkenval watched heavily armed airboats and light combat ships patrolling among the high towers of the city. He saw a couple of minor riots being broken up by the blue-uniformed constabulary, with considerable shooting and a ruthless disregard for who might get shot. It wasn't exactly the sort of policing that would have been tolerated in the first-level civil order section, but it seemed to suit Acord Neb conditions. And he listened to a series of angry recriminations and contradictory statements by different politicians, all of whom blamed the disorders on their opponents. The volitionalist spoke of the statisticalists as insane criminals and underminers of social stability and the statisticalists called the volitionalists reactionary criminals and enemies of social progress. Politicians, he had observed, differed little in their vocabularies from one timeline to another. This kept up all the while the ship was passing over the Caspian Sea. As they were turning up the Volga Valley, one of the ship's officers came down from the control deck above. "'We're coming into Darsh now,' he said and as Verkenval turned from the visiplate to the forward windows, he could see the white and pastel-tinted towers of the city rising above the hardwood forests that covered the whole Volga basin on this sector. "'Your luggage has been put into the airboat, Lord Verzel, and honorable assassins, and it's ready for launching whenever you are.' The officer glanced at his watch. 
We dock at Commercial Center in twenty minutes. We'll be passing the Solar Hotel in ten. They all rose, and Verkenval hooked fingers and clapped shoulders with Zortan Brand. "'Good luck, Lady Verzal,' the latter said. "'I hope you find the Lady Delona safe and carnate. If you need help, I'll be at the Mercantile House for the next day or so. If you get back to Gama before I do, you know who to ask for there.' A number of assassins loitered in the hallways and offices of the Independent Institute of Reincarnation Research, when Verkan Vall, accompanied by Marnik, called there that afternoon. Some of them carried submachine-guns or sleep-gas projectors. And they were stopping people and questioning them. Marnik needed only to give them a quick gesture and the words, "'Assassin's Truce,' and he and his client were allowed to pass. They entered a lifter-tube and floated up to the office of Dr. Harnash of Hosh, with whom Verkan Vall had made an appointment. "'I'm sorry, Lord Verzal,' the director of the Institute told him, "'but I have no idea what has befallen the Lady Delona, or even if she is still carnate. I am quite worried. I admired her extremely, both as an individual and as a scientist. I do hope she hasn't been discarnated. That would be a serious blow to science.' "'It is fortunate that she accomplished as much as she did while she was with us.' You think she is no longer carnate, then? I'm afraid so. The political effects of her discoveries—Harnash of Hosh shrugged sadly. She was devoted, to a rare degree, to her work. I am sure that nothing but her discarnation could have taken her away from us at this time, with so many important experiments still uncompleted. Marnik nodded to Verkan Vall, as much as to say, You are right. Well, I intend acting upon the assumption that she is still carnate and in need of help, until I am positive to the contrary," Verkan Vall said. And in the latter case, I intend finding out who discarnated her, and send him to apologize for it in person. People don't forcibly discarnate my friends with impunity." "'Sound attitude,' Dr. Harnash commented. "'There's certainly no positive evidence that she isn't still carnate. I'll gladly give you all the assistance I can, if you'll only tell me what you want." Well, in the first place, Verkan Vall began, just what sort of work was she doing? He already knew the answer to that from the report she had sent back to the first level, but he wanted to hear Dr. Harnash's version. And what exactly are the political effects you mentioned? Understand, Dr. Harnash, I am really quite ignorant of any scientific subject unrelated to Zerfa culture, and equally so of Terran politics. Politics on Venus is mainly a question of who gets how much graft out of what." Dr. Harnash smiled. Evidently, he had heard about Venusian politics. Ah, yes, of course. But you are familiar with the main differences between statistical and volitional reincarnation theories? In a general way, the volitionalists hold that the discarnate individuality is fully conscious, and is capable of something analogous to sense-perception, and is also capable of exercising choice in the matter of reincarnation vehicles, and can reincarnate or remain in the discarnate state as it chooses. 
They also believe that discarnate individualities can communicate with one another, and with at least some carnate individualities by telepathy," he said. The statisticalists deny all this. Their opinion is that the discarnate individuality is in a more or less somnambulistic state, that it is drawn by a process akin to tropism to the nearest available reincarnation vehicle, and that it must reincarnate in and only in that vehicle. They are labeled statisticalists because they believe that the process of reincarnation is purely at random, or governed by unknown and uncontrollable causes, and is unpredictable except as to aggregates. That's a fairly good generalized summary, Dr. Harnosh of Hosh grudged, unwilling to give a mere layman too much credit. He dipped a spoon into a tobacco humidor, dusted the tobacco lightly with dried zerfa, and rammed it into his pipe. You must understand that our modern statisticalists are the intellectual heirs of those ancient materialistic thinkers who denied the possibility of any discarnate existence, or of any extra-physical mind, or even of extrasensory perception. Since all these things have been demonstrated to be facts, the materialist dogma has been broadened to include them, but always strictly within the frame of materialism. We have proven, for instance, that the human individuality can exist in a discarnate state, and that it reincarnates into the body of an infant shortly after birth. But the statisticalists cannot accept the idea of discarnate consciousness, since they conceive of consciousness purely as a function of the physical brain. So they postulate an unconscious discarnate personality, or, as you put it, one in a somnambulistic state. They have to concede memory to this discarnate personality, since it was by recovery of memories of previous reincarnations that discarnate existence and reincarnation were proven to be facts. So they picture the discarnate individuality as a material object, or physical event of negligible but actual mass, in which an indefinite number of memories can be stored as electronic charges and they picture it as being drawn irresistibly to the body of the nearest non-incarnated infant. Curiously enough, the reincarnation vehicle chosen is almost always of the same sex as the vehicle of the previous reincarnation, the exceptions being cases of persons who had a previous history of psychological sex inversion. Dr. Harnosh remembered the unlighted pipe in his hand, thrust it into his mouth, and lit it. For a moment he sat with it jutting out of his black beard, until it was drawing to his satisfaction. This belief in immediate reincarnation leads the statisticalists, when they fight duels or perform voluntary discarnation, to do so in the neighborhood of maternity hospitals," he added. I know personally of one reincarnation memory recall in which the subject, a statisticalist, voluntarily discarnated by lethal gas inhaler in a private room at one of our local maternity hospitals, and reincarnated twenty years later in the city of Jeddel, three thousand miles away." The square black beard jiggled as the scientist laughed. Now, as to the political implications of these contradictory theories. Since the statisticalists believe that they will reincarnate entirely at random, their aim is to create an utterly classless social and economic order, in which, theoretically, each individuality will reincarnate into a condition of equality with everybody else.
Their political program, therefore, is one of complete socialization of all means of production and distribution, abolition of hereditary titles and inherited wealth, eventually all private wealth, and total government control of all economic, social, and cultural activities. Of course, Dr. Harnosh apologized, politics isn't my subject. I wouldn't presume to judge how that would function in practice. I would, Verkan Vall said shortly, thinking of all the different timelines on which he had seen systems like that in operation. You wouldn't like it, doctor. And the volitionalists? Well, since they believe that they are able to choose the circumstances of their next reincarnations for themselves, they are the party of the status quo. Naturally, almost all the nobles, almost all the wealthy trading and manufacturing families, and almost all the professional people are volitionalists. Most of the workers and peasants are statisticalists. Or, at least they were, for the most part, before we began announcing the results of the Lady Delona's experimental work. Ah, now we come to it, Verkan Vall said as the story clarified. Yes, in somewhat oversimplified form, the situation is rather like this," Dr. Harnosh of Harsh said. The Lady Delona introduced a number of refinements and some outright innovations into our technique of recovering memories of past reincarnations. Previously, it was necessary to keep the subject in an hypnotic trance, during which he or she would narrate what was remembered of past reincarnations, and this would be recorded. On emerging from the trance, the subject would remember nothing. The tape recording would be all that would be left. But the Lady Delona devised a technique by which these memories would remain in what might be called the forepart of the subject's subconscious mind, so that they would be brought to the level of consciousness at will. More, she was able to recover memories of past discarnate existences, something we had never been able to do heretofore. Dr. Harnosh shook his head. And to think, when I first met her, I thought she was just another sensation-seeking young lady of wealth, and was almost about to refuse her enrollment. He wasn't the only one whom little Dalla had surprised, Verkan Vall thought. At least, he had been pleasantly surprised. You see, this entirely disproves the statistical theory of reincarnation. For example, we got a fine set of memory recalls from one subject, for four previous reincarnations and four intercarnations. In the first of these, the subject had been a peasant on the estate of a wealthy noble, unlike most of his fellows, who reincarnated into other peasant families almost immediately after discarnation, this man waited for fifty years in the discarnate state for an opportunity to reincarnate as the son of an over-servant. In his next reincarnation, he was the son of a technician, and received a technical education. He became a physics researcher. For his next reincarnation, he chose the son of a nobleman by a concubine as his vehicle. In his present reincarnation, he is a member of a wealthy manufacturing family, and married into a family of the nobility. In five reincarnations, he has climbed from the lowest to the next to highest rung of the social ladder. Few individuals of this class from whence he began this ascent possessed so much persistence or determination. Then, of course, there was the case of Lord Garnon of Roxor. 
he went on to describe the last experiment in which Hadron Dalla had participated. "'Well, that all sounds pretty conclusive,' Verkenval commented. "'I take it the leaders of the Volitionless Party here are pleased with the result of the Lady Delona's work?' "'Pleased? My dear Lord Verzel, they're fairly bursting with glee over it,' Harnash of Hosh declared. "'As I pointed out, the statisticalist program of socialization is based entirely on the proposition that no one can choose the circumstances of his next reincarnation, and that's been demonstrated to be utter nonsense. Until the Lady Delona's discoveries were announced, they were the dominant party, controlling a majority of the seats in the Parliament and on the Executive Council. Only the Constitution kept them from enacting their entire socialization program long ago and they were about to legislate constitutional changes which would remove that barrier. They had expected to be able to do so after the forthcoming general elections. But now social inequality has become desirable. It gives people something to look forward to in the next reincarnation. Instead of wanting to abolish wealth and privilege and nobility, the proletariat want to reincarnate into them." Harnash of Hosh laughed happily. So, you can see how furious the Statisticalist Party organization is. There's a catch to this somewhere, Marnock the Assassin, speaking for the first time, declared. They can't all reincarnate as princes. There aren't enough vacancies to go round. And no noble is going to reincarnate as a tractor-driver to make room for a tractor-driver who wants to reincarnate as a noble. That's correct, Dr. Harnosh replied. There is a catch to it a catch most people would never admit, even to themselves. Very few individuals possess the will-power, the intelligence, or the capacity for mental effort displayed by the subject of the case I just quoted. The average man's interests are almost entirely on the physical side. He actually finds mental effort painful, and makes as little of it as possible. And that is the only sort of effort a discarnate individuality can exert. So, unable to endure the fifty or so years needed to make a really good reincarnation, he reincarnates in a year or so, out of pure boredom, into the first vehicle he can find, usually one nobody else wants. Dr. Harnash dug out the heel of his pipe and blew through the stem. But nobody will admit his own mental inferiority, even to himself. Now every machine operator and field hand on the planet thinks he can reincarnate as a prince or a millionaire. Politics isn't my subject, but I'm willing to bet that since statistical reincarnation is an exploded psychic theory, statisticalist socialism has been caught in the blast area and destroyed along with it. Olirzon was in the drawing-room of the hotel suite when they returned, sitting on the middle of his spinal column in a reclining chair, smoking a pipe, dressing the edge of his knife with a pocket-hone, and gazing lecherously at a young woman in the visiplate. She was an extremely well-designed young woman, in a rather fragmentary costume, and she was heaving her bosom at the invisible audience in anger, sorrow, scorn, entreaty, and numerous other emotions. This revolting crime, she was declaiming, in a husky contralto, as Verkenval and Marnik entered. Foul even for the criminal beasts who conceived and perpetrated it, she pointed an accusing finger. This murder of the beautiful Lady Delona of Hadron. 
Verkan Vall stopped short, considering the possibility of something having been discovered lately of which he was ignorant. Olirzon must have guessed his thought. He grinned reassuringly. "'Think nothing of it, Lord Virzal,' he said, waving his knife at the visiplate. "'Just political propaganda, strictly for the sparrows. Nice propagandist, though.' And now the woman with the magnificent natural resources lowered her voice reverently. We bring you the last image of the Lady Delona, and of Deerzid, her faithful assassin, taken just before they vanished, never to be seen again. The plate darkened, and there were strains of slow, dirge-like music. Then it lighted again, presenting a view of a broad hallway, thronged with men and women in bright, very-colored costumes. In the foreground, wearing a tight skirt of deep blue and a short red jacket, was Hadrian Dalla, just as she had looked in the solidographs taken in Jirgabar after her alteration by the first-level cosmeticians, to conform to the appearance of the Malayoid Akor Neb people. She was holding the arm of a man who wore the black tunic and red badge of an assassin, a handsome specimen of the Akor Neb race. Trust little Dalla for that, Verkan Vall thought. The figures were moving with exaggerated slowness, as though a very fleeting picture were being stretched out as far as possible. Having already memorized his former wife's changed appearance, Verkan Vall concentrated on the man beside her until the picture faded. "'All right, Olirzon, what did you get?' he asked. "'Well, first of all, at Assassin's Hall,' Olirzon said, rolling up his left sleeve holding his bare forearm to the light and shaving a few fine hairs from it to test the edge of his knife. Of course, they never tell one assassin anything about the client of another assassin. That's standard practice. But I was in the lodge secretary's office, where nobody but assassins are ever admitted. They have a big panel in there, with the names of all the lodge members on it in light letters. That's standard in all lodges. If an assassin is unattached and free to accept a client, his name's in white light. If he has a client, the lights change to blue, and the name of the client goes up under his. If his whereabouts are unknown, the lights change to amber. If he's discarnated, his name's removed entirely, unless the circumstances of his discarnation are such as to constitute an injury to the society. In that case, the name's in red light, until he's been properly avenged, or, as we say, till his blood's been mopped up. Well, the name of Deerzid is up in blue light, with the name of Dalona of Hadron under it. I found out that the light had been amber for two days after the disappearance, and then had been changed back to blue. Get it, Lord Virzal? Verkan Vall nodded. I think so. I've been considering that as a possibility from the first. Then what? Then I was about and around for a couple of hours, buying drinks for people, unattached assassins, constabulary detectives, political workers, newscast people. You owe me fifteen system monetary units for that, Lord Virzal. What I got, when it's all sorted out, I taped it in detail as soon as I got back, reduces to this. The volitionalists are moving mountains to find out who was the spy at Garnet of Roxor's discarnation feast, but are doing nothing but nothing at all to find the Lady Delona or Deerzid. The statisticalists are making all sorts of secret efforts to find out what happened to her. 
the constabulary blame the Statistos for the package bomb. They're interested in that because of the discarnation of the three servants by an illegal weapon of indiscriminate effect. They claim that the disappearance of Deerzid and the Lady Delona was a publicity hoax. The volitionalists are preparing a line of publicity to deny this." Verkan Vall nodded. "'That ties in with what you learned at Assassin's Hall,' he said. "'They're hiding out somewhere. Is there any chance of reaching Deerzid through the Society of Assassins?' Olirzen shook his head. "'If you're right, and that's the way it looks to me, too, he's probably just called in and notified the Society that he's still carnate, and so is the Lady Delona, and called off any search the Society might be making for him.' "'And I've got to find the Lady Delona as soon as I can. Well, if I can't reach her, maybe I can get her to send word to me,' Verkan Vall said. "'That's going to take some doing, too.' "'What did you find out, Lord Verzel?' Olerzen asked. He had a piece of soft leather now, and was polishing his blade lovingly. "'The reincarnation research people don't know anything,' Verkan Vall replied. "'Dr. Harnosh of Hosh thinks she's discarnate. I did find out that the experimental work she's done so far has absolutely disproved the theory of statistical reincarnation. The volitionalist theory is solidly established.' "'Yes. What do you think, O'Learzen?' Marnik added. "'They have a case on record of a man who worked up from field-hand to millionaire in five reincarnations. Deliberately, that is.' He went on to repeat what Harnash of Hosh had said. He must have possessed an almost eidetic memory, for he gave the bearded psychicist's words verbatim, and threw in the gestures and voice inflections. O'Learzen grinned. "'You know—' There's a chance for the easy money, boys, he considered. You too can reincarnate as a millionaire. Let Dr. Nirzutz of Futzbutz help you. Only forty-nine ninety-eight system monetary units for the secret, infallible, auto-suggestive formula. And it would sell. He put away the hone and the bit of leather and slipped his knife back into its sheath. If I weren't a respectable assassin, I'd give it a try myself. Verkan Vall looked at his watch. "'We'd better get something to eat,' he said. "'We'll go down to the main dining-room, the Martian room, I think they call it. I've got to think of some way to let the Lady Delona know I'm looking for her.'" End of Part Two